I'm going to introduce you, and I'm going to say that you're the director of sales and marketing of Marlin yep. Technologies. Is that still the right title to use? As, uh, as of this morning, anyway. Yeah. All right, good. Well, I haven't checked in with anybody at the home office, so just wanted to know. But I have silenced notifications, so you never know. <laughs> exactly. Hello and welcome to Make It, Move It, Sell It. On this podcast, I talk with company leaders about how they're modernizing the business of making, moving, and selling products, and of course, having fun along the way. I'm your host, Adam Honig, the CEO of Spiro.ai. We make amazing AI software for companies in the supply chain, but we're not talking about that today. Instead, we're talking to Lloyd Brown, the Director of Sales and Marketing of Marlin Technologies, which, if you ask me, is probably the best maker of custom-designed electronic control systems for nearly any severe-duty application. Welcome to the podcast, Lloyd. Thanks for having me, Adam. Now, after that intro, I'm going to have to find a way to send you a free drink or something. Wow. I, what I really need is a free OEM control solution. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, when I think about OEM controls, I'm thinking about things that control machinery. or That's exactly it. So Marlin has been around for a long time, uh, kind of since electronics were invented. We make custom electronics for generally what we refer to as off-highway vehicles. So that means construction vehicles, agricultural machinery, really large turf care things, so not like the lawnmower that any of us might have in our garage, but something that cuts a fairway or cuts a city park or things like that. All those types of machines need electronics to do controls. They're going to be turning motors on and off, hydraulics on and off, actuations. Now, as things are becoming electrified, there's a lot more electrification, and we are doing the electronic controls for those types of machines. Gotcha. And why not the highway? So this is just like anything goes too fast, you're not suited for it. We can go really, really fast, but in an off-highway manner. How's that for a response? Um, On-highway is a different kettle of fish. So that's things like are going to be sold to Ford and GM and Mercedes and BMW. And that comes with a whole different set of different requirements. And that's a that's a different bucket. So we're more in off-highway, which is regulated somewhat differently and has much more of a focus on severe duty. And when we talk about severe duty environments, we're talking about harsh environments. So very hot, very cold, very dirty, very dusty, often wet, just really challenging things for electronics to perform in. Gotcha. Yeah, I was talking with a guy whose company makes mining equipment, right? And so they've got these, I'm not sure exactly what they're called, but like a little device that you drive into the mine and it kind of drills stuff and pulls it out. So that's the type of application that you guys focus on. Yeah, so we would we would do things like that. We don't do a giant amount in mining, but I mean, any of those kind of vehicles would be the right kind of thing. So if you have a dump truck of any size, our electronics might be the switch that the operator is touching or interacting with to raise the bucket or raise the truck itself. And then we are turning on the hydraulics or however that's going to be actuated. Oh, gotcha. So the important part of the dump truck, actually doing the dumping in this particular Doing the dumping, case. yes. Not, not the boring driving part. Yeah, it's so funny. My daughter, she, she really wants to ride on a dump truck. She's in middle school, so she's not like a little girl anymore, but she's always had this thing for that. I don't know. There's something about the movement or the... So I, <laughs> just one of those things, you know? Some fathers have to buy a pony. you got to buy a dump truck. Uh, I guess so. I guess so. I guess, to the, you know, if I go down to the sanitation department and give the guy a couple bucks. Can I make that happen? I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. <laughs> Outstanding. When you think about your business and the types of applications that you do, what's kind of the most unusual type vehicle or device that you've seen your customers use your technology in? We've had a, a pretty wide range and a lot of them are um, 
There, there are agricultural implements that I was unfamiliar with until I started working at Marlin. So there's some weird stuff there. Um, we don't do a lot of image marketing on our electronics that go onto things like manure spreaders and things like that. Oh, yeah. But we do that. But we also recently were re- approached by a company making a very innovative, extremely high-speed uh, race car that needed a control solution for some things. Wasn't really in the driving part of some auxiliary systems. And we all came to the same, you know, whether it was me or engineers or whatever, we said, we'll do this project for free if we just need one of their prototypes for about a year. That would be fine. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Do you guys do any work in uh, cranes? We do, yeah. We do quite a bit. The big exotic vehicles are always interesting. So cranes are great. That's actually a really good application. But people aren't making large quantities of cranes, right? If you go to a Manitowoc or Lake Belt or whatever, I mean, they're measuring their throughput in dozens. And um, electronics certainly are not free, but they're not super expensive either. So we tend to skew more to things like skid steers and telehandlers and things like that, where there's a little bit more volume. Yeah, no, that's right. We had a guest on the podcast who uh, makes the crane that lowers the ball at New Year's Eve in New York. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah. super cool. But they make one of them. So that's not going to be a good sale. So we have to go talk to other people. Yes. You got to charge a lot for that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Tell me a little bit about, you know, acquiring new customers in this space. What are the challenges in that world? Yeah, fortunately, we've been in these spaces for quite some time, for several decades. and, And the current ownership family has had the company for about 25 years next year. So that's great. So we have a a good set of customers in those spaces. And very often engineers leave from one construction company, they will go to a different construction company. So we do get quite a bit of word of mouth. But as we define our maybe top, say, six, eight, 10 market sectors uh, segments, you know, we basically go through just general marketing research to figure out who else is making similar products, who's in those markets, and who do we want to go and, and make an approach with? So I wouldn't say that it is a super organized account-based marketing approach, but it's it's on that direction, right? Um, if we've got 10 construction companies and we want to add another five, we can come up with a list of 25 to try to get to that five. And is it a very competitive space that there's a lot of competition? It is. I mean, it's a, it's a big space. Um, there are some you know, large manufacturers who make similar things. But when you really peel the onion away a little bit, each manufacturer is a little bit different. But we, yeah, we're competing against some large companies, some globals, some, you know, people with more zeros after their sales figures than ours. But with that said, because of our size, we're a small company, we are able to deliver a very high level of service and custom engineering. So we do, you know, if you visit our website, you'll see some stock products, and that's great. We're building out that line of stock products. So those are, you know, with quotes around it, off-the-shelf products. With that said, the vast majority of our business is custom. So hmm. in other words, somebody might start with a stock product. They might have a stock controller or a keypad or what have you. And they say, well, yeah, that's close, but that's not exactly what I need. And then our electrical engineering guys will get involved in design a custom circuit board, and we'll get into our own manufacturing to make that. You know, it sounds like once you make a custom solution for somebody and it's working well and they're happy with it, that really kind of cements them in because they'd have to go and kind of reinvent that. Is that the case? It's fairly sticky. Yeah. I mean, it's not impossible to change. And and that, of course, informs how we acquire new customers, right? So if our solutions are sticky, so is the other guys, right? So we've got... uh, build the right relationships so that people have the right confidence to make that kind of a change. But yeah, it's fairly unusual midstream, mid-production 
for someone to make a change. In other words, I'm tired of company A's product. I'm going to go to company B. That doesn't happen too often. But so, you know, we're here in, you know, later 2023, the last three years of supply chain, you know, pandemic and post have been a real handful in electronics. And that has resulted in more opportunities coming our way from companies that cannot source what they were trying to source from some of our competitors. That's interesting. So they were coming to you because they couldn't get, you know, supply from other people. It opens up the door. I was talking with one of our, um, you know, customers in the fabric business, and that was exactly for them. But they've seen a bit of erosion with that kind of customer base, too, that they started just going back to buying people that they were buying from before the pandemic. Have you seen that kind of challenge? Uh, I I wouldn't say that per se. Um, What we see more of is all the supply chain disruptions that have happened in the last few years, the kind of disruptions that, you know, we'd see things on television of acres and acres of Ford's brand new F-150s that were 99% complete, but they couldn't ship because there was an electronic something or other that they couldn't get. Even luxury cars, all of a sudden this year, not available with heated seats because they can't get the circuit board or the, or the chip or the semiconductor or whatever. Those are the kind of things that we see supply chain constraints on. Mm-hmm. And that's true for us. It's true for our competitors. So it becomes a little bit of a free-for-all. And those are not the kind of semiconductors that are being addressed like in the um, Chip CHIPS Act. Act and things like that. Exactly. That's more of the really high-level processing. Our products are going into industrial machines. So the semiconductors, yeah, they are absolutely semiconductors. They are really, really good at what they do, but they're fairly simple and they're fairly generally fairly inexpensive. Dealing with that kind of supply constraint has been a handful. Yeah. We have not seen companies come to us or, or maybe go back to where they were five years ago. Not really. It's more of uh, opportunities that are being presented because they're just, they just can't get finished product from their suppliers. And what about on your own supply side? I mean, have you seen you know, lead times going longer for delivery for your business or you know, how has that been working? Yeah, it's been crazy. Over the last several years, the supply chain base for electronic components, and these are the tiny little components that go on circuit boards. And in the end, Marlin is a, we manufacture circuit boards, right? So we're buying all these little transistors and other things that are they're going to go on boards. We typically will work with a, a normal times, you know, pre-COVID lead times range anywhere from, say, 12 to 52 weeks. And so we're having to buy raw material in advance of firm orders from our customers. So forecasting becomes quite important. During those last few years, sometimes those lead times can go out to be a year, two years, even longer. We are often, we're not, I wouldn't say often, but we went through periods of time where we had orders that had been in place for 18 months and we're supposed to receive 10,000 units of something from a supplier two weeks from now. And then they say, yeah, we've pushed that out eight months. Yeah. And we'll talk to you in eight months. Or we see things that are, we're no longer going to make that. We're going to end of life that version, but we have a new one for you. Great. Let's show me the new one. Of course, it's never exactly the same. It's just different. And it's probably not the same price as well. Yeah, that is a challenging question. But even more impactful is that that new one isn't available for a year and a half. Right, right. (laughs) Meanwhile, people still want to make skid steers and combines and things like that. So Yeah, no, they got to keep their business going. Sure. Our supply chain team has done a phenomenal job of going shopping. Uh, we've had to hit the third party or broker market with some frequency, um, and that has caused a lot of disruption, a lot of pain, but um, we've made our way through it. And I think overall, 
done a fairly solid job of keeping our customers running, which is one of the things that we do. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Now, I know you said you were a recovering chemical engineer. I'm just curious, do you feel like that gives you a different perspective on, you know, sort of the the technical side of the business? You know, I mean, I know you've been in sales for, you know, your career, but... Mostly, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, having an engineering background is helpful, and I've been around technical stuff most of my career, so it's it's helpful to understand the applications a bit more. You know, leading sales and marketing, it's better for me not to be an electrical engineer because there's no risk of me being dragged into the technology because that's not going to uh-huh. So it kind of keeps helps keep me in my lane a little bit. So what's your advice for people who are like in college and thinking about getting into the manufacturing space? Do you feel like, you know, even in sales, it's good to have that engineering background or how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is. I don't think it's a requirement, but in the technical industry, industry, you know, when you're making a technical product, the more technical you are, the easier you can relate. Even if the technology you're familiar with is somewhat different, at least you kind of get the DNA of what the customers are thinking like, what Mm -hmm. kind of questions come next, and maybe some of the vocabulary gets a little bit better. So that's helpful. It's not a requirement. I mean, we... Um, we're growing, so we're actually. I'm right now. I'm trying to hire another field sales. Uh, we call it a sales engineer, but that person doesn't need to be an engineer. It's helpful if they are, but they don't have to be. Right, right. I, I know. I studied philosophy at college. My dad was very disappointed. You know, he wanted me to be in engineering, but I was like, no, no. I want to. I want to be in the world of ideas. But like later, kind of being in the technical software space, I've often thought, wow, would I wonder if that would have been a good choice, Dad? You know, like I don't know. Seems like it's worked out okay. Well. You know, no complaints, right? <laughs> but let, let's shift gears for a second. I want to hear a little bit about the production side of the business. So, you know, I've been talking with a lot of people and the, sort of the trend that we've been hearing is about more and more production coming back to the United States. But you guys have always manufactured in the U.S., right? Yeah, we never left. We have one factory. Like I say, we're a small company. We have one factory. It's in the city of Horicon, Wisconsin, which is more famous for its marsh and its duck hunting, which is a seasonal thing right now. But Horicon's a small community several thousand population, equidistant between Milwaukee, Madison, and Green Bay. And that's where we've always been. And it's a great place to be. We, you know, we have real terrific people to draw on to work in the factory. We have uh, fairly long tenures is not unusual. Um, gosh, there's two people on our team that have celebrated 35 years in the company. So that's pretty cool. So yeah, it's it's a great place. We've been happy to manufacture here. We're not looking at giant volumes. If you find the biggest of big OEMs, I wouldn't name them because it's not like I wouldn't talk to them, but that's not always the best fit because they're going to go for a different set of characteristics from their supplier than what we offer. We're generally offering really excellent engineered solutions. A lot of times it's custom, a lot of innovation, and it can be a pretty modest volume still makes the cut for us. With that value add, we're able to really be happy manufacturing in the U.S. because it shaves some of our lead times and our, our, our time to market is a little bit shorter, I should say. And the other part that's great is, I mean, we have a modest size engineering team. We're probably 15 to 20 percent of our company employees are engineers doing engineering work. They're designing it one day, maybe in our innovation center, which is closer to Milwaukee because we, we have a better access to talent pool that way. But then the next day, they're driving 40 minutes up the road to Horicon and they're on the floor while their stuff's being run and they're they're really seeing how it goes. So, I mean, it's it's really nice balance and that would be harder to do if we were overseas. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, a lot of people have been on the podcast talking about some of the challenges with hiring 
though, as sort of a trade-off, especially for, you know, for whatever reason, manufacturing doesn't seem to be like the top destination for a lot of people. How do you guys try to overcome that? We have a great employee experience, I guess is the best way to put it. We have a really good transparent relationship between the owner and everybody in the company. So he's just awesome in terms of being, you know, you can ask him anything, he'll answer straight up and there's no baloney on his answer whatsoever. So that's really cool. The employees are treated really, really well. And in a small company, you know, we all know their names. We all, we all, there's one lunchroom and that's where you have lunch generally. And so, you know, it's very personal. So it's a good experience. Uh, there are times when we're super busy and the, the shop floor are working a great deal. They've worked a lot this year as we've been growing quite fast. We do struggle with hiring like everyone does, but I will say in the last six months, we've done better. And I think one of the ways we've done better is, you know, we compete with a a fairly finite number of other manufacturers in our geography. Some of them do pay more than we do, but the quality of employment experience isn't the same either. So there's a little more flexibility. It's just just a kind of a a cool place to be. And sometimes the take-home pay isn't the whole story. For a small company, we have really good benefits. So we we just treat people really well. So I'm hearing something that's kind of resonating with me, that the ownership, the family that's owning the business is very involved and very hands-on. That probably gives people a sense of connectedness that's super helpful, you know? Yeah, exactly. So in uh, in 2022, it went from one generation to the next. So uh, father sold the company to his son, who's John Lechtenberg. He's my boss, and he's just awesome. Did he give him a good deal when he sold the business or like Steve was like, I don't know. It's not quite high enough. We got to, I've only been here a few years, so I'm still working on the, you know, getting all the way in Adam to ask that question, but I think it's pretty okay. John's been in the business for like 12 years, kind of a commercial leader, but has really a finance background. He's in a, he's in a great spot to run the company and he's, you know, he's got the right relationships in place internally and externally. So it's, it's pretty cool. Right on, right on. Well, Lloyd, I really appreciate your coming on the podcast. This has been awesome. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so great. I mean, I, I really, I'm now I'm going to be looking at all of these different equipment that I see around like dump trucks and the lawnmowers and thinking, huh, I wonder if we, uh, any of Lloyd's products are in there. So I know a guy. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. I tell my daughter, she's going to be super impressed, <laughs> but, uh, just as a reminder for our listeners, you can find every episode of the make it move it sell it podcast at spiro.ai backslash podcast and uh you know if you if you thought lloyd and i had a good conversation feel free to you know give us a good rating or maybe subscribe i don't know lloyd would you recommend people do that wholeheartedly of course excellent excellent and of course when you do that you help other people find the podcast so we we really appreciate it but thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, we look forward to speaking to you at the next episode